Welcome to the Broad Place podcast. My name is Jackie Lewis. I'm one of the co-founders of the Broad Place, which is a school designed to enhance your creativity, clarity, and consciousness. In this podcast, I interview Rosa Park, who launched Serial Magazine with her partner and now husband, Rich Stapleton. They created a movement of minimalist aesthetics combined with a high-grade lifestyle through their magazine, which is now a hugely successful global business that has amongst it its own publishing arm of books and city guides. Rosa and Rich also consult for brands around the world from a creative standpoint. Now, Rosa personally recently launched Francis Gallery after an immensely successful pop-up in London. She's now transformed this into a permanent art gallery in Bath, England, and an online retail environment. I taught Rosa and the Serial team integrated meditation, and I've also been working with them on enhancing their creativity. That's for them individually and for the business, which has been a real honor. They're a collective of remarkable people led by Rosa's intense passion and purpose, and I was thrilled to interview her for the Broad Place podcast to dive deeper into the conversation around living with greater clarity, creativity, and consciousness. I hope you enjoy it and gain some insights into how you might weave new ways of thinking and being into your life. Our podcasts are not recorded in sound studios, but in live environments and personal studios. So I thank you for your patience with any feedback or diminished quality in parts. We recorded this sitting in the studio of Serial, and we were above tradespeople furiously working away on completing Francis Gallery downstairs, and the room with us was charged with excitement, promise, and anticipation. And I really think this comes across in the chat. If you'd like to know more about the Broad Place, Francis Gallery or Serial, I'm going to create some show notes and also um, some things at the end of the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome, first of all. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you. Um, can I get you to explain for everyone listening what Serial is? Because I use it as a term. I'm like, oh, that's a, such a Serial look. Or, um, <laughs> oh, you know, you can tell that they're, like, that's a Serial apartment. I use it as a term now. It's like become part of our vernacular. And everyone we know goes, oh, yeah, no, they know exactly what they're talking so about. That's so exciting to hear. Um, but, and then there's every so often someone that's like, it's a what? So can yeah. you describe for us what Serial actually is? Sure. So Serial is a travel and style magazine that my partner Rich and I started. Um, it first began as a quarterly title, which we then changed to a biannual, biannual one. And now we do a series of guidebooks, we publish coffee table books, and we create a lot of exclusive online content and consult for various brands. So it has had an interesting journey. Multifaceted. <laughs> yeah. Have you, uh, how come you went from every three months down to every six? Yeah, so the first two years we did quarterly because we felt like that would be a nice pace as an independent title. Obviously, we are not doing monthlies like a lot of the mainstreams, but I think we very quickly realized that because of the size of our team, that three months was actually not enough time to create the standard of content that we wanted to. So we said, all right, let's try this. Let's try going biannual and see how it feels. And I think it's the best decision that we've ever made because mm. I really believe that it was year three that we came into our own and hit our stride. And it was, you know, it coincided with the time that we decided to publish every six months. Yeah. Okay, great. Did you, so you're seven years since founding now, is that yeah, right? Yeah, this is our seventh year of trading. Yeah. Beautiful. Did you find that um, as a creative business that's also trying to be commercially successful, you have no idea what you're doing until the three year mark and then five years you start to kind of go, oh, all right, I think I'm beginning to understand where we're at. I, we hear that all the time and I know yeah. with Aaron and I, with all our businesses, you know, in the first year you're like, yeah, 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 we've got this. And then yeah. you realize in year three, you're like, no, we didn't. <laughs> and now yeah. we're sort of getting it. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, I think 
year one, I almost felt like I knew what I was doing more, but that has a lot to do with being naive. Mm. I don't actually know anything, so I think I know everything. Yes. <laughs> I think that it's that boldness that even allowed us to start it in the first place. I think if I knew everything that was coming, I wouldn't have started it. You know, because it's, it's just, there's, such, there's so many challenges and obstacles and roadblocks along the way that it can be intimidating. But I didn't know any of that. So I was like, I know what I'm doing, it's great. I worked in a magazine before I got this. Um, and then, you know, very, very soon you realize, oh shit, there is so much for me to learn. I don't actually know what I'm doing. And you get this sense of panic, but you always battle through it, right? You have people that you work with, you, you have people that you look to for guidance and you just learn on the job and Google search is the best thing ever. I type in the most ridiculous questions into Google. Like it's like, it has all the answers to all my questions. Um, I'm and also thankful for all the, the nerds that take the time. I'm like, bless you for taking the time to sit down and do like video tutorials on yeah. the most obscure things that you're like, oh. it's like if I've had the problem, I guarantee someone else has had it. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we didn't have advertising year one and I have never done advertising at a magazine before. So I think I literally Googled, how does magazine advertising work? <laughs> um, so this is kind of, you know, how I learned along the way and obviously got to work with some very talented people that taught me. But you're right, I think it was year six where I kind of began to feel a little bit more at ease with everything. We have a good team, we have a flow. Um, it seems to all be working, you know, which, is, which I'm very grateful for. So yeah, and now that we're going into year seven, I'm happy to be doing what we're doing. I do really believe that we're finding our niche, we're finding our voice and settling into it. But of course, I'm also getting an itch for a new challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I think once the, there's the adrenaline and the, you know, your creativ creativity feels so unbridled when you're in those first few years. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, and the potential of like, what might be possible? Because yeah. we didn't even think this was possible. Yeah. And now it's in fruition. And yeah. then you get the feedback as well from everyone engaging with it and you're yeah. so fueled. Yeah. But then at some point you're kind of like, oh, we know how to do this now. Yeah. So next projects? So next projects, wow. So I'm working on a gallery uh, called Francis. It's semi-launched. We kind of decided to launch it in three stages. So. Step one was doing a pop-up gallery in London, which just happened um, this past September, which was wonderful. Um, you and created a lot of buzz. No, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better reception. I think we had roughly 700 people come during the 10 days we were open, which is wonderful. Incredible. I mean, it was wonderful, but it was also hilarious because on the weekends, I said to my colleague, I'm like, this is definitely not the Zen vibe that I thought we were going to have, <laughs> but I can't complain that all these people are here. Um, Start doing Gucci style. We'd have to line up out the front. Yeah. You can let so many people at a Hire time. Hire a bouncer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, next pop up. Um, <laughs> no, it was really great, and we sold a lot of the works, which of course matters, um, and got to share it with so many people. We happened to have done our pop up during the tail end of LDF, going into freeze, which mm -hmm. is obviously intentional. So we got a ton of people from outside the UK as well, which is also what was I that deliberately timed? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. Perfect. Um, and I also. Also deliberately placed it between LDF and Freeze because even though we're selling art at the gallery, I wanted to kind of straddle that in between between people who love design and people who love art mm. because it's not that far apart. Although if you compare the two industries, it, it can feel very miles apart. But yeah, it was a very strategic timing to 
place it right in the middle of LDF and freeze. Um, so we kind of got both crowds, and that was interesting. Um, and then the second stage of our launch was launching the online gallery. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what drove a lot of what drove me to start Francis was to make art slightly more affordable for people. I mean, that's such a relative word. Like, what is affordable? It depends. How much do you have? Um, and I guess I use myself and my friends as a gauge for that. What am I willing to spend? What am I willing to invest in this sculpture and this painting? So. Bearing that in mind, I think you're always willing to spend a bit more if you've interacted with a piece of artwork in person. Mm, definitely. But if you've never seen it, unless you know the artist or you're very confident in your art buying ability and you just know, I think things online from an art perspective, especially for an up and coming gallery, they have to be price friendly. So what we did was we created a series of limited edition prints with our painters and photographers and we created maquettes with our sculptor, which is a maquette is what a sculptor would make before actually making the real work. Oh, right. Yeah. So they're like tiny models. Um, oh, of adorable. What, I love the little things. So. Yeah. <laughs> of what will then become a full size piece. So I asked Mari if she would be willing to sell the maquettes. And she kind of gave me a funny look like, what do you mean? People don't want to buy this. This is what I make before I make the real thing. I'm like, yeah, but you still made it. And it's still part of the sequence. Yes. Yeah. So it's like buying a study from a famous painter. That's Ooh. how I equated it. So on our online shop, the ethos was let's sell the, the really affordable versions of what we're selling physically in the gallery. So we launch francisgallery.co right before Christmas with maquettes and a series of limited edition prints alongside some smaller ceramic pieces. And that was wonderful to, to, to then have customers actually buy the pieces online, you know, never having visited the gallery. And were the artists excited about this? About, yeah, Because that would absolutely. have been a new step of selling. Because I'm also wondering, like, well, hang on, what do they do with all the maquettes? They must just, like, have them in the studio. And yeah, exactly. So it must be so fun. It's like, okay, going to birth you back out into the world. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and the reason <laughs> I even found out about that is I went to Mari's studio. There was tons of maquettes. I'm like, what do you do with all of this? She's like, I don't know. It's just there, reference, inspiration. Um, and I said, would you be willing to make me a series of maquettes? And, yeah, I think she actually quite enjoys it now. And you're right. It is part of a process. And that, to me is the most interesting within the artwork anyway, is the process that goes on behind the final work. And I like the idea that one day someone might buy the maquette as well as the final piece. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, you know when you go to the gallery, or a gallery, um, and sometimes if they're doing a huge retrospective, I yeah. love looking at, you know, the cabinets with all their notebooks. Yeah. And I'm like interested in like what paper, like what kind of notebooks were they using? Yeah. And what, yeah. and how were they, I mean, some artists are like, oh, it's not a lot of effort. Yeah. I mean, it was, I shouldn't say effort. It wasn't, it doesn't seem like it's a lot of, it, it seems like a rapid process. And others. Especially with abstract art, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Sort of like, there's a smear. Yeah. Um, you're like, okay. But then some artists are like, what? Like yeah. the level of detail that's yeah. going into, I, I, that's my favorite. Yeah. Or seeing what their studio looks of like. Of course. Or, I think a lot of the abstract artists, you know, it takes them years to form their color. And they paint with that color for years. And then before they move on to another color, it takes them another two to three years to then create another color. And these are things that you may not necessarily understand when you look at a work, but that's why I love the process. And that's why I love doing maquettes. And I think I will then speak to some of my artists about doing studies as well. So we'll get there. And now I'm working on phase three, which is the final. And we're opening a physical gallery space in Bath. So we're halfway through renovations, <laughs> which is really exciting, but so stressful. Um, and, you know, a lot of people actually ask me, why do you want a physical gallery? You don't need to have a physical gallery. In this day and age, you can just do it all online. And 
I see that and I understand that, but I run a print magazine. I was so, say, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I just like to be able to interact with things in real life. I'm not going to say that it's better because that's completely subjective, but maybe I'm old fashioned. Maybe I just like the tactility of things and real life engagement, but I still don't personally believe that you can replicate the experience of walking into a physical gallery and everything that comes from that, what you see, what you smell, what the customer service you get, so what you feel, and the conversations that you get to have with the person working there about each artist, you can't, it's not the same online. So I want to be able to give that to our clients. So I knew there was never an if, there was always going to be a physical space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the worst slated to open in March. Amazing. Yeah, which is not that far away. And it's downstairs from your head office, which yes. is also... So convenient. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when it came up, I just looked at Rich and I said, yeah, okay, taking it. It wasn't, there was no hesitation. Take, never had a gallery, but I'm taking it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, cause Aaron and I were saying, um, after we had a look through it yeah. yesterday, I was like, hang on a minute, this isn't... Like, let's paint it white and put some yeah. little hooks on the wall. Yeah. This is like an intensely, like, there's a lot of architectural work yes. going on. There's a lot yes. of building work. It, it's a complete strip and start again. Yeah. Is this your first interiors? Because you're doing it all yourself, right? Yeah. You're designing it all yourself. You've done your um, house as well, your apartment? Yes, yeah, sorry. I, I am doing um, the gallery actually in collaboration with an interiors designer called Fred Rigby. He's lovely. Okay. I worked with him for the. London pop-up mm -hmm. um, but yes my home and the office uh, Rich and I just did it ourselves um, but what I've realized by doing our office and our flat is that it really helps with physical spaces to just bounce ideas around with as many people as possible absolutely and I think that's when I realized okay I, I would like to work with um, an interior designer and just be very very closely involved in everything mm. but to tap into their knowledge because the things that I didn't really think about when we did um, our home and our office which we did simultaneously and that was our first real um, interiors project is you don't think about the light sockets and the hinges mm -hmm. because it's <laughs> yes. not sexy or the yeah. radiator. Mm. Um, but actually, in many ways, that is the most important part. Mm. Anybody can pick a print, uh, paint color and put nice furniture in it. But the thing that elevates a space without you even understanding why is the beautiful light switches and light sockets and hinges and ironmongery and the finish on the floorboards. And actually, it's the cumulative effect of all of those things that make you go, God, I don't know why, but it's just so nice here. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's the little details. I remember I used to work for a company, gosh back in 2000 called Englund Moore and Tina Englund um, mentored me a lot when yeah. I was studying interior architecture she was wonderful and I learned all these little things like their apartments and buildings and houses were very very minimal but it was things um, that she shared with me like the height so when you open like a kitchen pantry yeah. depending on how so they wanted it all flush yeah. um, but the kicker if you don't have if it's not high enough it'll yeah. scrape the top of your ankle yes. uh, if you don't have your foot in the right spot yeah. so ergonomically like all these little tiny yeah. details that yeah. she was like it takes years to hone that where of you start course, going yeah. oh, oh, and living and interacting with the spaces you've designed yeah and I think that's the challenge that's one of the beautiful things about the work you would have done is yeah. you live in it you work in it you yeah. start going 
Oh. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> that works, and maybe that doesn't work so Just much. positioning of a switch. You mm. think it's not a big deal to cross the room to turn that light switch. You do it every single day times five years. How many hours of your life have you lost? And the thing about Fred is that he specializes in retail environments, and he said, yes, a space has to be beautiful, but if it doesn't function, you failed. Mm. Yeah. It has to be comfortable. It has to work. It has to make sense. So, I mean, we have a running joke. We keep doing these drawings, right? We're like, oh yeah, this is the final drawing, and we're on final, 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 final version, 20,000, still not quite final. Um, <laughs> just like endless tweaks and things that, when it's done, you're gonna think, I can't believe it took us this long, but it has to take that long <sighs> because you can't cheat time. So, you know, one of the mistakes that we made at our home is we did custom radiators that just would disappear into the wall because we painted each one to match the wall, but just the paint finish wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And maybe people don't notice and maybe people do, but when we walk in, we're like, nah, that shouldn't have been that finish, you know? Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I'm glad the gallery is our third project because I have those two behind me and I can really apply lessons and plus I'm working with Fred. And what's wonderful about working with Fred is I'll show him a reference image. Hey, I really love this sink. What do you think? And then he'll look at me like, right, these are the companies that we need to talk to. It's just nice to have kind of that expert knowledge and it speeds up the process. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm ecstatic about Francis Gallery and I really also didn't want to be a white cube gallery. Um, mm -hmm. I think part of the reason that art can be quite intimidating is that everybody pictures the silent white cube gallery with one ridiculously good looking gallery manager. Why are they always so good looking? They're always really good looking and like fancy. Um, um, and then you walk in and you feel like you can't even sneeze. That's that sense. Um, and then on the one hand, it's respect for the artwork. And on the other hand, there's been tons of studies to say why a white cube is actually a great environment to view art. So I'm not poo-pooing that, but it's more just like, I wanna be a gallery that is genuinely inviting. So mm. I'm kind of, I see, I see how it usually works and I, I respect that and I do admire that, but I'm kind of saying, how can I slightly massage and alter this so that I'm still being very respectful to the art and artworks, but also creating an environment. The moment you walk in, you can just sit down and chat. Which is so nice. Aaron and I had an experience when we were in New York last year and he, we were in, as was it Chelsea? Yeah. And we went from gallery, I think we saw like 72 galleries in yeah. a day. I actually cried by the end. I was like, I can't see any more art. <laughs> um, but we had two experiences. Um, we, in one gallery, they were just so like, straight up to us. I mean, we don't, we're not the kind of, we look, didn't look like people that were about to drop, yeah. you know, $400,000 yeah. on a piece of art. <laughs> um, and the guy, it was like, we were just, anyone else like so kind so like informed us about everything like and did you know this and did you know that I was enthralled I had the most incredibly transformational experience in there yeah. discussing everything with him there was no little detail too small I didn't feel like an idiot yeah. um, I had a ball and then we had, went to another gallery yeah. and I couldn't find the, even the piece of paper that was going to yeah. describe everything it was so stark and minimal and the two guys that worked there were so insanely rude. I seethed for about an hour afterwards and I kept, you know, going, Aaron's like, let it go. I'm like, I'm going back. <laughs> like, like, um, it was, it was, it was, it was like, I was, you know, you're wondering like, are we being filmed for a comedy? Yeah. Because there was so typical art gallery so kind of like, yeah, yeah, like hair flick, Snooty. like, can we help you? You know, that's what <laughs> and, and it really, it, but it completely undermined for me. I was like, I wonder if the artist understands the representation that's occurring. Yeah. Like if yeah. you, for me, art is, here's my soul. Would you like to buy it? Like yeah. here's a piece of my soul. Here's, and, and could you invest in it? And so then if you've got people that, 
or anyone coming into the space that doesn't feel welcomed or like they're part of that. Because yeah. I think everyone that interacts with the art, even viewing it, um, absorbing it, enjoying it, yeah. they become a part of that giant sequence of yeah. what that piece of art means yeah. for the person that ends up buying it as yeah. well. And energetically, what is that story for that yeah. art? And so then the gallery owner or the manager or whoever's there is yeah. a huge like custodian for of that course. process. Yeah. So I yeah. love that that's a, a big intention yeah. of yours. And I think, you know, okay, let's be real. I am not reinventing the wheel here. There's, I don't know how many galleries there are in the world and it runs the full spectrum from tiny neighborhood galleries selling arts and crafts all the way to the mega international blue chip galleries and everything in between. So I'm entering the field, so to speak, understanding that Yes, galleries have been around for I don't know how many years and very long time and I'm just trying to find my place within it in a way that I think I would like to experience art because a lot of people have asked me why are you doing this aside from the obvious answer because I love art is that I said you know what's funny is there's a lot of art that I love um, and there's a lot of galleries that I love but I actually can't afford any of it mm. and I'm not pushing for ownership per se but I like having art in my home, so I gotta get that somewhere. And I've, I have collected and bought art here and there through the years from traveling in certain galleries, what was within my means, but I said, but funnily enough, I haven't been to a gallery yet that sold the kind of artwork that I really love in an interior setting that I really love with the kind of customer service that I really love. Mm. I still, I'm sure it's out there, I just haven't experienced it yet, so, I'm doing it. it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm doing it. And um, I've never worked in the art industry before, um, but you know, I had very minimal experience in publishing before I went into it. And looking back, I realized it was my lack of understanding the the industry that gave me confidence and boldness to make certain decisions that ended up working very well for us. So I think. I'm hoping that that method is going to work again. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how a lot of commercial art galleries work. I've been reading a lot of books. I've been chatting to a lot of people, but that, that has a limit. But I said to myself, well, I'll do it the way that I think it's supposed to be done. And there's no right or wrong technically. And let's see how we fare this first year into the next two, three. And then I can recalibrate. Well, you can edit as you go. Yeah. I think everyone gets so scared about, well, if it's not perfect at the beginning it's like nothing is perfect no, at the yeah, beginning and you yeah. said something here around working with Fred that <clears throat> the ethos was around what are like the things that make sense yeah and I that as a phrase like things that things that make sense is such a beautiful summary of like if it makes sense to you that's yeah. enough like if yeah. that if that I can't find this and I want yeah. this and it makes sense to me and therefore yeah. I'm going to pursue it and share that yeah that, that is actually the foundation, yeah. I think. I think everyone overcomplicates it yes. sometimes. Aaron had, and I had no idea on what it meant to start a school. Like, none. We're like, okay, so we'll teach stuff and, <laughs> and, 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 and create experiences and we'll basically you know, make them the things that we would like and see if other people like them. That was the, that was the foundation. Yeah. And I know that was the foundation for Serial. Yeah, it's like what exactly. you and Rich loved and maybe other people will love it too. Yeah, I just go on the belief that if I think this is interesting, if Rich thinks this is interesting, then we can find other people out there that also finds it interesting. So that's what always keeps me going. You know, when you have those moments like, oh my gosh, I must be mental, I don't know why I'm doing this. No, actually, I'm not, because I like this. And, you know, my friend likes it, and therefore I will find other people in the world that will appreciate this with me. So that keeps me going. Um, And... 
one of the things that Fred said to me, which cracked me up, we were ta talking about gallery seating. I was like, I want people to be able to sit down and look at stuff, and we can serve them tea or whatever they need. And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you walk into a store or a gallery that you don't really want to go to, but your wife or your husband or your girlfriend, whatever, wants to go in, and you just want to sit down mm -hmm. and chill. Yeah. So he's like, you want to create an environment where the person that's unwittingly come can also have a good time because you've made really comfortable seating and you're plying them with drinks so that the other person who really wants to be there can take as much time as they want. Actually relax. So being like, <laughs> yeah. just one more minute. Exactly. Just to think. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't know why that made me laugh. I, probably because I drag Rich around so much to places he doesn't want to go to. Um, so then that was the motivation behind the gallery seating that we're now creating for the main gallery space because all of the furniture is actually bespoke to the gallery. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what I've learned from Serial, which I'm massively applying to Francis Gallery, is take your time, mm. trust your instincts. Don't try to please other people, just please yourself without sounding crazy egotistical because you, only you know what you like. You can never truly guess what other people want. And if you can customize as much as possible, do because that's an extension of you and that's what's going to make your space you. Mm. How do you find the... <clears throat> so for me, there's this fine blend and you're the least arrogant person I've ever met. But there's the... and, and also confident. And there's that I know that this is exactly how I want it yeah. and trying to get everyone aligned with that vision and instilling your confidence in them that if they just trust you, it's also going to be okay yeah. without it tipping into becoming like an egotistical, like, no, no, now I just stubbornly have to have it like that. Yeah. How, what's that sort of look like for you? Um, yeah. So like pushing people. Because obviously with cereal, it's a tiny as well. It's a, yeah. it's a little team. Right? Yeah. Um, and so you really need everyone on board yeah like the vision has to be super super clear yeah. and same with the gallery it's yeah like, what's your have you got any like like chemistry that you employ you know to, to get that happening to get everybody on the same page yeah to get or to, on your page on your <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i think between rich and i i mean what's of note is that serial is something that rich and i started together the gallery is actually just me okay so that's a yeah. big difference um and actually, it's a huge difference because I no longer have my other partner, the creative director, that can make decisions with me. It really is just me. And that felt intimidating in the beginning, but I'm settling into it. Um, do you I, still run everything by him? Like, I know whenever I don't do it. Yeah. Aaron and I have had businesses together since we yeah. met. Like, three months after we met, we launched our first yeah. creative agency together. Yeah. Which isn't madness on one hand but also worked because you're still trying to impress each other and yeah. be nice to each other <laughs> in the very beginning so it's like a really nice you know whereas now when I do things on my own I feel almost like a, like a sailboat that's yeah. out and yeah. I need to like come back and tether for a yeah. while and be yeah. like can I just show you some things oh absolutely I mean Rich is my husband he's my partner he's my best friend and we've worked together for so long and we're always somewhat involved in every project that we do independently as mm. well as together however there's a big however. It was very intentional, the gallery, that it was it was going to be me. And it was very intentional that Rich also shifted focus to doing a lot of his own freelance and fine art work. And I think the reason was we worked so closely together for seven years. And it's, it's amazing. I think we do really work together. But I think we also wanted to know, what's it like when we don't? Mm. Who am I outside of, yeah. creatively outside of this partnership? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an experiment. It's a mm. life experiment like everything in life is. It's a very serious life experiment because I'm investing a lot into it. But 
I think I needed to know what that would be like. So I now I'm, I'm heading down this path while we're still working on Serial together. So that's been super interesting because sometimes I'm working on drawings with Fred and which is like, oh, hey, what's that? And of course I'll show him, but I'm like, I'm not ready to show you yet. Just, just uh, later, you know? No, because yeah. I don't know if you notice this, but I, I do the exact same thing. It's like, let me get it to a point where I'm proud to show yeah, you. Exactly. Like I don't want exactly. your input now because I'm actually, my, I've got so much of my heart invested in yeah. it. If you come in at an undeveloped stage and say something critical, yeah. I might fall apart. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. like, just get, get, get. Like, yeah. <laughs> wait well, until I'm there. Because Rich's opinion means so much to me. That's so if he was to be like, I don't know about that. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're messing up my creative process. Not intentionally, but yeah. that does happen. So there's a there's like a funny moment between us at home when he's working on something. And I'm like, hey, what's that? And he's like, oh, I'll show it to you later. Um, so you're like, fine, I'm going to go work on my own work anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, it's it's pretty, it's a funny dynamic between us too. Um, but he's so supportive, and which is, you know, to be expected, but I always appreciate it nonetheless. So I personally can't wait to see the physical space actually open because no matter how many drawings and fabric swatches and mood boards you've done, it doesn't even come close to, oh my God, it's done. Yeah. And you're looking at it. Um, so yeah, I, I really want to also get involved with the local community um, because I've lived in Bath for an awfully long time, but I haven't lived in Bath. Mm. I'm not really here, I'm always traveling. So for the first time in seven years, I've self-imposed a travel ban. So I'm not leaving the country for almost four months. I have not done that. I, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I've done that. Um, I'm one and a half months in and so far so good. No, uh, would you be? <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> I was actually supposed to go, go to Rwanda tomorrow and I've just, canceled my attendance to that trip because I realized I have to be here. This is very serious and I can't, I, I think every day counts. So I've decided, I've decided on that. Um, and I, I'm just kind of, I just know that there's still so much iterative process till, till the end. And the thing about working on serial is that it's 2d. If it looks beautiful in the photographs, if it reads in a lovely flowy way, well, in essence, that's my job done. To go from 2D to 3D has been my biggest challenge. Well, as well, you sort of, the, the fear or the panic of like signing off. It's like we were talking about why yeah. we both get nervous about recording when we speak, yeah. because it's like, oh, and that's just like encapsulated and final. Like yeah. that's done. That's yeah. that's now out in the world. Yeah. And if I said something in a moment in time that then I've changed my mind on, it's yeah. like, oh, damn it, I can't go back on that. Yeah. Same goes with print. You notice a typo, it's already gone to print. Yeah. Or, oh no, hang on a minute. Like we sent, you know, something, there's always yeah. something. I've never printed yeah. anything without turning around and being like, oh. Um, don't know if you guys have had that experience. <laughs> Our friends run a magazine in Australia and they said that they had um, every issue a, a reader would send back a copy completely marked up with like sticky notes wow. and red pen and all the typos from the magazine. <laughs> Volunteering Free and saying, subbing. Yeah, no, honestly, but like post after they'd yeah. printed it. So they're like, oh, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then with a 3D space, it's 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 alive. It's yeah. no, there's no finality. Like yeah. there's no, people will come in, they're going to interact with it. Yeah. Like the magazine goes out to readers and yeah. unless they bump into you, write, yeah. see you at an event and you get the feedback, you don't really know. Whereas it's living and breathing downstairs. Yeah. And you can go, oh, actually, I don't like that there. I'm going to move it over here. Really or the artist right. might say, could we try this? Yeah. It's like this constant, can I repaint this? Should we move this? Mm. Yeah. I don't know which process makes me feel more vulnerable. I've been thinking about that a lot because you're always putting yourself out there. If you're starting a business, 
if you're doing anything creatively and putting it out, it does make you feel vulnerable. And I don't know why I've been thinking about that word, but it's been on my mind. Maybe because I feel very vulnerable starting a new business. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if it's not what I thought it was going to be? And I have to... In solo, it's like you can't... Like yeah. 50% of the blame can't go, <laughs> go on someone I else. I those scapegoats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where do I get one of those? Um, so yeah, no, it's been such an interesting headspace to be in to still run cereal, business as usual, um, and then starting another business that you could argue there's a lot of similarities, but then you could also argue the other way. You know, people said, why, why this? I'm like, well, because I think curating is not that dissimilar from editing. Mm. Um, yes. So that was my immediate connection. And I said, and, you know, I kind of view Serial as my education as well. It's seven years of learning. Mm. And I say learning because for every issue we have to find people and places and things that we want to do stories and profile and do interviews on. And every encounter, every trip, that's an education. So I've been exposed to a lot of beautiful museums and art, very fortunately, through Serial. So for me, that has been indirectly my art education. I've always been interested in art from a young age, but this accelerated it yeah. because now I got to meet artists, my, the artists that I've admired my entire life, you know, meeting them at their artist studio, talking to them, you know, accessing museums before opening time when we're the only ones in there so we can shoot it. I mean, there's such privilege experiences and now I get to take all of that and then channel it into a gallery which is in my mind it makes a lot of sense I don't know if other people think it's a big jump but I'm just like it's the next logical step I think so I yeah. think it's definitely the next logical step and also the, the, I always love the question like what happens if you don't do it yeah <clears throat> you know when you have yeah. that I yeah. always say to students they're like oh, I've got this thing and this idea and I'm like don't worry about if you do it who are you going to be if you don't do it and yeah. it 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 just makes it really clear. It's like I won't yeah. be whole. Yeah. If it, or yeah. it's like oh I'll be not stressed and not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you kind of get really clear on that. Like I, I this is a if it's th if there's the thirst and the burn there, you've just got to it's got to it's got to go. You know, I just, it's got to be birth. I hate regrets mm. and what ifs. I really really do. So I've actually wanted to start an art gallery for almost three years, and I've ummed and odd and made a million excuses why it wasn't the right time. And the impetus for me to actually say I'm doing it was um, I had a my parents came to see me over Christmas, um, and my dad's like, "Are you gonna do it? You keep talking about it." And he's like, "I don't know. You he's like, you're not usually like this. You you always go for the things that you want to do." And I was like, "I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I've started a business already, and I know how hard it is. Yeah, that I'm not as ignorant. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. I'm not as ignorant as I was when I started Serial. So maybe I'm just scared." And he said, "Look, why don't you write down the worst case scenario, like what you think is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you if you open this gallery and it just went to shit?" And I was like, "All right." And I what wrote, "What was it? You close it." Is that the worst case scenario? The closet. You know, you close it. Oh, you, you can close shut it, the gallery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the closet. Yeah. Um, you have to hop in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Hide in a closet for ten years out of sheer rebuilding reputation. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, he said, you know, you close, you lose money. I mean, you know, they're legitimate fears, right? So you write it all down on a piece of paper, and you look. He's like, sit with it, look at it, and actually, you're gonna probably come to the conclusion that it's not that bad and it's not life altering. So he's like, tape that onto your wall so that every single day you're doing this and you're gonna wanna quit at some point, you keep reminding yourself what the worst case scenario is and understanding that it's really not that bad. 
So that's what made me say, say, say to him, okay, fine, I'm going to do this. Because, I mean, my father is kind of my mentor, and he, he's the guy that I often go to for advice. And having that chat with him Christmas 2017 mm-hmm. um, is what prompted me to do everything in 2018 and now into 2019. So, yeah. And you did super stoic, you've mentioned before, like in, that, in his mentality like that. He's so pragmatic and yeah. no bullshit and he always lays it out for me when I go to him he doesn't sugarcoat stuff he always points out my weaknesses as well as my strengths and you know um so it's it's great to have people like that in your life right one of the reasons that I think that I'm able to do what I do is I have people in my life that are just solid mm. that gives it to me straight doesn't tell me you know stuff that I want to hear tells me the hard stuff but then also says yeah but of course it's hard like what do you mean you think it's gonna be easy that's ridiculous yeah it's not gonna be a cheesecake like yeah. it's not it's not like yeah. all fluffy and creamy yeah. and sweet and delicious whenever I call my parents for um, support because something you know really hard has happened in life or at work, I get the same response. My dad's like, well, I don't really understand what you expected. Did you think it was going to be easy? easy. Is anything in life easy? <laughs> no. Is anything worth having easy to achieve? No. He's like, this work, work is hard. Life is hard. You need to man up because this is a decision that you've made and you need to see it through. Absolutely. He's like, I'm not going to give you a cookie for doing something that you're supposed to do. No, no yeah. and that's, that's such a, I find in the... Um, Particularly, I, I don't love the word entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I find it, I find it a, a little bit offensive because I had this moment years back where I was speaking to this guy who was really successful and he was like a coach for entrepreneurs and yeah. successful people. And he was like, you know, like 99% of people aren't entrepreneurs; they're just self-employed. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was entrepreneurs are in the business of making money. Yeah. And they don't care what the modality is. There's no mm. like it's about business. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is in the art of, like, everything that you've described is yeah. in the art of creating something yeah. and working for yourself, which is yeah. actually just self-employed. And I was like, uh-huh. And I had this massive penny drop moment yeah. because when you are self-employed, it is, and I, I'm, I'm sure if you're an entrepreneur, I wouldn't know because I'm not one, but if you are self-employed, it's insanely hard work. It doesn't yeah. matter what you do. Yeah. I, I do teacher training with meditation teachers and they finish their 14 months and I sound like the most negative Nelly, but I'm like, you are going to have to work harder than you've ever worked on anything in your entire life. And they're yeah. like, but I'm going to teach meditation. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and work really hard at it. Like if yeah. you want to be a brilliant teacher, yeah. or if you want to be brilliant at anything, yeah. it's really hard. It's not. Yeah. And I think that's now the, the dream that's being sold to people. It's yeah. like, you know, you can be anything, you can do anything, but just because you love it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. Yeah. And just because you're good at it doesn't also mean you're going to be able to make money out of it. Oh, yeah. And, so many and variables. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had various people, you know, speak to me about them wanting to start their own magazine or any other book Oh, endeavors. I did it. I rang you and I, we had that massive chat. It was <laughs> oh, so yeah. insightful. And you were like, okay, listen. When someone sends back a magazine because they've crimped the corner yeah. and you're distributing it and sell it, you sell you yeah. shipped it directly yeah. from your lounge room yeah. at two o'clock in the morning yeah. after barely having slept for a week, yeah. and you're gonna <laughs> patiently and happily respond with a handwritten letter apologizing yeah. and then resend them and cover yeah. the shipping and the magazine press yeah. back to that person. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'd be like breaking it down into this sort of finite. This is the blood, sweat, and tears that's going to yeah. go into this. It's not just pretty photos. Yeah. It's not just like you know, sitting down in a cafe with your mole skin, like coming yeah. up with ideas. Yeah. It's blood, sweat, and tears. And yeah. are you prepared? And I was like, no, I already have blood, sweat, and tears happening too much. Yeah, like, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's true. And Rich sent me a meme the other day, which was like a frog in bed, 
and it said, every day I quit my job and get ready and go to work. Yeah. Um, and he's like, this is you. <laughs> because it's true. Like every day in my mind, I quit my job, which is slightly hilarious. But there's, there's, like a, there's a kernel of truth in that, right? Because it's hard. And sometimes I have my moments when I'm just like, oh my god, I don't think I can do this anymore. But you always find it within yourself somewhere to keep going. And of course, everybody has their ups and downs. But with the magazine side of things, you know, the making the magazine, I'm not gonna lie, it's wonderful. It really is. If you love that process of editing, finding stories, working with photographers, art directors, writers, subbing, proofing, if that rocks your boat, then yeah, it's great. Shipping. So however, <laughs> so you have the creation of the magazine and then you go into the production of the magazine and actually uh, Rich loves the production of the magazine because he loves being on press. He loves checking every single proof, making sure the color balancing is right. He loves making sure the deboss indentation is just the right mill. He, he loves all of it. I am very interested in it. I don't share his passion for it. I appreciate it, but he genuinely loves the process. So off he goes to press every single issue. And then after production, you have to get it to your warehouse and your distributing partners, and then that's when the fun begins. So, um, fun, in inverted commas. <laughs> I think every publisher will agree that's where the fun begins, um, in the sense that it's hilarious how much work goes into sending a magazine. Because you think, oh, just put in an envelope, it's no big deal. But it's not. Sticky label and we're done. <laughs> and it's, it's a funny thing because magazines are heavy, but they're cheap. Mm. Because what are people really willing to pay for a magazine? I'm sure you can make it a premium product, but it's not like jewelry. I mean, there's a limit to what you can really charge. Same with books, I guess. Yes, yeah. exactly, with books as well. Anything print, yeah. really. For some reason, you can get away with charging a little bit more for books. Um, because when we were pricing our books, we had a huge debate about it. And it's because people think that magazines are temporary and mm. books are not. Except for cereal because everyone keeps theirs. <laughs> I hope so. Every yeah. home I go to, there's like the, the, there's the pile in order. <laughs> I hope they keep it because we do treat it like a book. But you know, at the end of the day, it is a magazine. It falls into the magazine category. Therefore, a lot of people that buy it, even if they intend to keep it, they're like, oh, it's a magazine. And mm. they have advertising. Books don't have advertising. True. So you ha they kind of think, well, I'm not willing to pay more than this. And then you go, okay, I put it in my car. I live in America. Oh my God, shipping is 15 pounds. That's more expensive than the magazine. I'm not buying it. You don't want this reaction. So you know we subsidize heavily our shipping for our customers. You know, and and then. People don't think about how much the bespoke cereal packaging costs, our double-walled wrap with cereal on it that every single magazine goes into. How much does it cost to handle that? Someone has to take the magazine, put it in, wrap it, post it, hand it over to the guy. How much does it cost to actually ship this? What's the taxes and duties that the company is absorbing for me so that I don't have to pay it? You know, it's just, why do you, why do, why would you ever think about that? I've never thought about that when I bought a magazine until I started cereal, you know? Every single time, every single time someone touches it, it's crazy. Yeah. And you just don't realize how many people touch it yeah. until you get it. Like exactly. the, the whole sequence of exactly. getting it from this truck to that truck to that yeah. warehouse to wrap to pack. Yeah. To, it's crazy. The person that saw the order come through the shop and had to send it to the warehouse. You know, the person that answers all of your emails that you may send because you have questions. I mean, you would never think about that. And the thing is, I don't expect people to think about that because it's a ridiculous thing to expect from a customer. But because it's your problem, because mm. you decided to start a business. So, <laughs> so you're the fun person. Yeah, <laughs> you have to make it seem 
super effortless. No one should ever, I mean, someone once told me no one should ever see the effort in your work, even though mm. it's probably the most amount of effort you've ever put into something, it needs to come off effortless. That's, that's your marker for success. People might disagree with that, but I was told that, and I really tried to emulate that. The end customer should never know it should just have. It should seem like it appeared and just landed in your front door. Um, Isn't that lovely? I always loved. Um, I didn't love everything Kate Moss has ever said, but she said that like never complain and never explain. Yes. Which is such a brilliant. Um, I love that too. Phrase. But yeah. It just it encapsulates so many things in regards yeah. to all those extra bits that people don't. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, you know, part of sometimes now everyone's like let's educate the customer. Yeah. Um, but also then they have this beautiful thing at the end and they yeah. just want to be able to enjoy it. You can lose a little bit of the magic. I think mm. if you are really walking them through every gritty stage of production and fulfillment and handling, maybe people really want to know. I don't know. But I think when I buy things from people, of course I want to know the story behind it, but I don't really need to know about your warehouse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's okay. I'm like, I don't need to know where you got your bubble wrap and if it's biodegradable. Actually, I would want to know that it's biodegradable, but like, there's a limit to, I think, kind of that knowledge that I myself would want to be privy to unless I intended to start that business. So I think we try to do it so that a lot of work goes in, but the customer, ultimately, they have a magazine. I hope they enjoy it. Done. Um, so when people say they want to start a magazine, I never start with the creation. I kind of go backwards. I'm like, okay, are you interested in advertising? Are you interested in sales? Are you interested in publishing? Are you interested in packaging and product fulfillment and warehouses? Because if you can say yes to all of that to a degree, then yeah, you should go start a magazine. It. Yeah, because the other stuff is cream on top. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the bonus, right? That's, mm. um, that's the part... That's the really fun part. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I think I sound quite negative, but I'm just being very honest because I didn't know when I started. I loved it. I mean, that conversation for me that we had was so illuminating and what I needed to hear. Otherwise, I would have gone headfirst into failure. Yeah, yeah. Without, you know, like really enthusiastically dived into going, oh, this will just be something cute we do on the side, which is also, and you were so patient as well. You weren't kind of like, it's so insulting when someone's (laughs) like, hey, we do all this. And we just think we like do sort of like, you know, biannual like you guys do. And we'll just like, we just want to spend that much time on it because we don't have a lot of time. It's like, well, you're kidding yourself. It's like all the time has to go into just that. But it's the stuff that you think it's like what I said about the the radiators and the doorknobs and the hinges mm. you don't think about that it's the stuff you, you don't see yeah and yeah. that's actually what sucks up a lot of your time and you know to be fair once you have it set up and you get into a float okay of course it's not such a challenge anymore because you figured out those answers but another thing that I always say to people is people will use being an independent magazine not as an excuse, but as an explanation for why certain things are. So it's like, oh, um, you know, we ship using this method, which takes a really long time and is untracked because we're independent, we don't have the budget. And mm. and something that I said to Rich is like, I'm never going to use us being an independent business to in any way decrease the customer experience. I am going to do everything in my power to be try to be on par with okay i'm not going to say amazon but um you know other big companies yeah of course we should 
you know, offer global track shipping with DHL. You know, that mm. has to be an option. You know, of course, the packaging has to be bespoke and expensive. It's, I'm not going to cut corners because I'm an independent magazine. I will figure out a way to get the resources to deliver our customers the best experience possible. Mm. And that was another big learning curve for me because um, obviously I had to figure that out in year one. And also, you know, people say to me, like, oh, do you guys even, like, pay for your content? And I'm slightly offended by that. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever not paid a single person that has walked through the store and worked with us, mm. interns interns included. Um, so, you know, I, I really think between Rich and I, it's very important to us that we do things... I don't want to use the word proper because that sounds judgmental. But with like, integrity? Yeah, with yeah. integrity. That I understand that people's time is very valuable. And, you know, a lot of people tell me they love cereal. And I, and I say, wow, that's so wonderful. I'm like, and I'm curious, right? Because I always want to know. I'm like, what do you like about it? And they don't know that we're a print magazine. They're like, oh, I've been to your site. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, did you like the online content we had on there? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, have you seen the print magazine? You guys have a print magazine? Um, <laughs> we get it with the world place. People go, you guys teach meditation? I'm like, yeah. how do we miss that bit? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, or like someone will say, oh, yeah, no, I know you guys have a print magazine. I've actually, you know, never bought one myself. And I'm not criticizing you not buying my magazine because, hey, it's not for everyone. I get that. We're a very niche title. But I don't understand how you can love something and and say that you love something genuinely and not support it so that thing can go keep going yeah you don't love it you appreciate our design i can take that sure you don't have to buy it you can just appreciate our design but if you come up to me and you tell me how much you love what i do but you've never spent 12 pounds to buy a single issue Mm. you're not supporting what i'm doing totally yeah and then I will go out of business mm-hmm. because you haven't supported what I'm doing. Um, and I, I've been thinking about that a lot as well. You know, like you, maybe I should rephrase that. I, I believe that you can love something and not be able to afford it, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody has a budget. Um, and I'm not going to apply that to the rule with the gallery because it's a little bit different. But with a magazine, 12 pounds is a lot of money for some people. 12 pounds is chump change. But I think 12 pounds is the kind of money that most working professional could part with if they really want to. Also, let's face it, once or twice a year. Yeah, 24 pounds a year. Actually, if you subscribe, it's 20 pounds a mm. year. Um, so, you know, what you you talk to so many magazines these days, independent ones too, because, you know, there was a very big boom of independent magazines and they continue to come out, but I think it's stagnating and a lot of them have also closed. And people are like, oh my God, I'm so sad that they've closed. And I look at them, I'm like, did you ever buy an issue? No, but I just really like them. I'm like, well, why do you think they shut down? It's like that we were talking about the other day, though, yeah. with the kickback when people go, oh, like, you, I, you know, you have too many advertisers or, you know, yeah. I get the kickback with our daily yeah. letters, where sometimes yeah. people go, oh, I got really upset that you were trying to sell me something. Yeah. And it's like, so the business component is the thing that allows us to create the great yeah. content yeah. And, and one fuels the other. Like yeah. we're not a charity yeah. and we don't have patrons, yeah. neither do you. No. Like there's no, there's no like some, like you know my parents always used to say, there is no such thing as a money tree. <laughs> you know? I know, my dad but, too. <laughs> I'm like, really? Because I really want to find one. Because <laughs> yeah, I like to pluck off that all the time. <laughs> um, but there's that, that misconception that because it might be 
creative or it might involve like something that's conscious or yeah. like you know orientated or it's environmental everyone's got these sort of mental blocks around yeah. like oh I understand that like a corporate business might yeah. do this yeah. but business is business it doesn't yeah. matter whether it's conscious or corporate it yeah. still needs funding it still needs to make money somehow and totally. there's that kickback of well if I didn't support it and I will get really upset when it's gone yeah. how do I support it I had a really interesting there's a beautiful spiritual teacher that I follow I've listened to every single one of the podcasts I've and admittedly what I was doing was I was skipping through the introduction yeah. like going bum, 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 so I didn't have to listen to the introduction yeah. of which was all about could you please donate to support this and I was reading every blog post, post and I was doing all the free courses and then I was in contact with them directly about something and I sent like this really appreciative yeah. I just out of the blue I was like I really yeah. want to send them an email say how much I love this and they said oh are you a patron like thank yeah. you so much for your contributions and yeah I was so ashamed. I was like, I've never donated a dollar. And so yeah. I made a hefty donation because yeah. I had this sense of, what was I thinking? Like, yeah. they, what, like who funds this? Of course yeah. people that are yeah. reading, like if it's content, then yeah. you know, someone's going to have to be funding if it. If it's good content, it has if to, it's you good know, content. it's been paid for. And I, I always donate to Wikipedia as well when they have the message, like, dear mm. reader. And I, f I feel for them. I'm like, well, yeah, I use Wikipedia so much. Of course I should pay for it. Like Aaron Doe was saying the other day, he donates to The Guardian. And yeah. I mean, I subscribe to The New York Times yeah. and it's nominal and I don't know if I didn't even read it, but it's like, how do I keep something that I love alive? And yeah. it, I think that's that's a really important question yeah. for people to ask themselves. Like if I'm truly, it's even like community gardens. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to go and pick something from a community yeah. garden. Do you guys have those here, community gardens? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. So, you know, there's that, there's, it's someone is tending to it. Someone is planting it. There are people in the neighborhood. You don't just go and pick the kale in the beetroot yeah. and get out of there. Like yeah. you've, it's that, like, how do I invest back? Yeah. And through service, like through the art of like contributing or donating or um, contributing or just buying, yeah, you get way more in return. It's yeah. like it's not it, the transaction goes exactly in a deeper way. I, you know, people go, oh my gosh, it's really interesting that you run a travel magazine. Wow, you must go to such cool places. Yes, that's very true. But they never ask me about the other stuff. You know, they don't. I have seven people on my payroll, and seven people is not a lot, but it's still seven people, and they pay their rent, mortgage. You know, and, and it's like. I have to make sure that I can always take care of my staff. I have to make sure that I can always pay our contributors. I have to make sure I can pay our print bill, office overheads. And how do you do that as a magazine? Well, gee, you have advertising and sponsorships and you have magazine sales. Um, and you know, we do a reader survey every year. And of course we didn't have advertising and then we slowly built our advertising. And even now, you know, there's a threshold I won't cross. I have a percentage of the flat plan that I said has to be editorial, but you, we get we get emails. Oh, there's too many advertisements, and it's fine. People are absolutely entitled to express those opinions to us. It just makes me laugh because I think, well, okay, but without them, I wouldn't really be able to do this. Mm. So, it's just the frustration of a self-employed person um, <laughs> because, like I said, as an end customer, you really don't think about those things. Because I didn't. I didn't when I read magazines and didn't run it myself. I just thought, oh, there's a lot of ads. Oh, this, yeah, I'm going to flip to page 60. I'm going to yeah. skip past all these bits here. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like me on the podcast. Bum, 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 bum. Like, yeah, you know, yeah the, exactly. The bit where they're going, help me <laughs> support this, you know. And, you know, what people don't understand is that Rich and I actually turned down advertising because, you know, something that Rich always said to me is advertising is content. It takes up page count in our magazine. It's content. Therefore, mm -hmm. if we don't like the artwork, if we don't like the brand, it doesn't get to be in our magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to turn away certain opportunities 
from a purely financial standpoint, and maybe if I was an entrepreneur, <laughs> I would say yes. Um, but because this really, it's not like a personal passion project by any means, it is a working business, but it's still personal to us. Mm. So we do say no to certain financial opportunities that a business consultant might think is foolish, but we can pay the bills, we can pay our team. I mean, that's, that's enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. When you enrich, so you're having these conversations and obviously there's some that are going to be far more, like, you know, when you have financial conversations, yeah. have you guys got any, like Aaron and I have rules now. We had to put rules in place around yeah. when we can and can't discuss things because uh, on one hand, you're, you know, two founders, yeah. you're free to business. Um, like you guys, we both, Aaron has his own agency yeah. as well. So there's other things involved yeah. and we had to do a, like, uh, after 8 p.m., no work discussions. It's also because we go to bed at nine, but it was like an hour before bed, no yeah. discussions, um, because there's nothing worse than it's first thing or first thing in the morning. Yeah. So we have a threshold in the morning where we're not allowed to talk about <coughs> things. So there's nothing yeah. worse than you brushing your teeth and someone standing next to you being like, "Did you send that invoice?" <laughs> <laughs> like, um, do you guys have any? Oh, it's just not sexy as well. You're you yeah. know you're in bed or you're about to yeah. fall asleep and you're like, yeah. "Hey, hey, you know that." Thing. Like I was yeah. just thinking, maybe we could X Y Z, but it's just not conducive yeah. to yeah. to it's not, a it's not creative, but also it's just not it doesn't make everything flow. Do you, no. What rules do you guys have? Do you have oh, any? Oh gosh, so the first five years there was no rules, and we look back on the first five years of our business. <laughs> that was rough, um, <laughs> and there was no there was zero boundaries, zero limitations. I mean, I think people think I'm lying when I tell this to them, but I was like, no, we didn't have a day off. We didn't have evenings off. Like we didn't even have a social life. We just worked mm. because especially in the beginning, I mean, it was sink or swim. So, you know, because we are self-funded, we never took investment. Like it was really like, okay, if we can't make this work, like this is the end. We can't eat. <laughs> yeah. So we got to, we got to do it. Um, and you know, a lot of people have said to me, do you regret that? Or do you think that was too intense? And I was like, no, because I don't think we would be here if we didn't do that. Hmm. You don't get here without this. And was it slightly detrimental to my health? Yeah. But I was in my twenties. So it's fine. I mean, I was, I was obviously, I had much more energy. I'm not saying that I have less energy now, but even in the, in the, um, seven year time span, I think, yeah, we have figured out that there are ways that we can sometimes work smarter, not harder. Hmm. Um, and that comes with experience. So I think it was last year, yeah, 2018, when we actually sat down and said, okay, this is stupid. Like, mm. let's, we've done the five years and not that that's like a timeline that everybody should adhere to and that's the end. But it's like, that something seems, about that five yeah, year mark. Seems like five years is a good chunk of time to just like really just dedicate nothing but, you know, de dedicate yourself to nothing but work. Um, where do we go from here? What does the next five years look like? Mm. Um, and then we, you know, hiring staff obviously helps. So we hired more people, delegated more, let go of parts of our business that we were doing, but obviously was just not quite working the mm. way that it should be. So yeah, we, I think we edited and eliminated and refined and hired more people. So 2018 was busy, but it was less busy than 2017. And this year I would like to keep continuing that process mm -hmm. so that when we hit our 10 year mark, we can say, yes, we work hard, of course. And there are weeks where we're at the office every single day till one in the morning. I mean, when we're on deadline, we're working till three or four. So, but that's, you run a magazine, you have two deadlines, like deal with it. Yeah. But 
the other parts of the year, what do we want that to look like? Can we start taking a full Saturday off? And so we're working towards it now. And we have a rule now when we eat dinner that we really try not to bring up work. Great. It happens, right? But, you know, I we kind of like catch each other out. We're like, oh, you're talking about work. <laughs> but it's the time that, I think the challenge is this, it's the time where you decompress that you actually then the more, so you've got all like the responsibilities sort of hit the surface and then underneath that there's the purpose piece and there's the creative yeah. sequencing and they kind of like get to bubble up when you're yeah. decompressing. Like Aaron yeah. and I, whenever we take, we go on holiday in inverted yeah. commas and we, we don't, we often combine holiday with work is yeah. in like we work half a day and then we have the yeah. other half of the day off while yeah. we're traveling. Um, but we very rarely take like solid blocks of time off because yeah. as soon as we try to do that, we get so inspired because we've got space that we start yeah. creating things. Yeah. So we start working on a book or we start working, you know, there's yeah, like you're in I Japan and we're like, okay, we're in Japan, we've got 11 days off. Yeah. And we spend the entire time frothing, yeah. <laughs> having the biggest meltdown, so writing down a million ideas, taking photographs, yeah. documenting. And then we decide, okay, now we need to do a city guide on this place. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, hang on, this was yeah. supposed to be a break. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when you love it and yeah. it's so exciting, it's super hard to go, yeah. actually, I'm going to draw a line in the yeah. sand. I was, I was listening to a podcast with, oh my God, I can't remember her name. She's a psychologist, but she said, actually work-life integration should be the goal, not work-life balance. She's like, instead of separating it into two boxes, figure out a way to integrate your work and life seamlessly so that you don't put this pressure on yourself. Like, okay, I'm off work now, so I can't talk about work and don't ever bring it up to me and I'm gonna put my phone on silent. It's just like, chill out. Mm. It's just free flowing. You can't draw a line with a jiffy marker or straight down the line more life, especially when you're married to the person you work with and travel often is so blurred between what's personal and what's work because we do what we love for a living. Yeah. So it's like, where do you even draw that line? Sometimes when I look at it, is this work? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> do we expense this? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so it's very blurred. And I actually had a problem with that for a long time. I think I finally gotten to the point where I'm like, it's just my life. I think that's the key. When you surrender, I think the, the even the word work-life balance was created to create more stress and anxiety <sighs> than any other term because yeah. you're constantly seeking something that you can't actually get. When Aaron and I, again, like we dropped the idea of, okay, we may not have like full vacations where we yeah. go, you know, like our friends that work in yeah. corporate, they'll go away for a month. They don't answer any emails. Out of office. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, whoa. You know, yeah. we've been on holidays with them and I've had this moment, I'm like, hang on. Like, yeah. have we made a mistake? Like, look how relaxed these guys are, you know? <laughs> like, really living it up for yeah. a month. But, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. you got to do what you... I couldn't yeah. fathom that. I, yeah. I also would... I would feel, I think, anxious taking that. I love that. Yeah. I don't want to lose my grip and with, with what we do. Like, yeah. it's not... I love that stitching it in. Work-life integration is a great term. Yeah, so I've been thinking about that term a lot. I always do this thing where I write words like, and I put it up on the wall in my little tiny desk area at home. Um, but... I, I think everybody is so different. How What makes you tick, how you're wired. So when people ask me for, hey, do you think I should go freelance? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Do mm. you want to go freelance? Like, I can give you... Do you want that level of pressure in your life? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can give you kind of, you know, semi-decent advice for what freelance life might look like, but do I think that it's right for you? Like, I have no idea. You have to make that decision because some people love it and some people hate it. Do, you know, some people... If you're not comfortable with unknown, with having an unknown, yeah. freelance is the pits. Yeah. Like, you have to be constantly comfortable with having no idea what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's the best thing freelance free, ever told it's me. It's kind of a free fall, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you don't know where the next ledge is going to catch you. But 
I yeah I think starting your own business running a magazine running an education um, school like yourself an education school that's not a term <laughs> a school an education center a gallery I mean all of it basically is I think you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable mm. the surrender is a really nice word you've used that in the last three days that we've been in our course with you and I'm gonna write that one and put it on my wall because <laughs> I think that's such a gentle way to see it it's actually like this is just how it is mm. okay let's just acknowledge that and not stress out about trying to like push it to the side or put it in a box or yeah I love that word actually I don't really use it but I, I like to, I think that's going to be one of my key keywords for 2019. Um, Amazing. Nice. <laughs> I'm a mood board. Yeah. <laughs> People have like visual mood boards. I have like word boards. Word. Yeah. I, I mean, I theme every month. Aaron and yeah. I have like annual um, quarterly and monthly theme words. Yeah. I love them. It's the yeah. best. Well, it gives you, it gives you like an anchor and something to, just the mind is so unhinged and it's got so yeah. much engaging with it yeah. and then it's like mine is scattered. I mean, yeah. you don't want to know what's going on out yeah. here. And so having like a little anchor yeah. and something that you can hold close. I mean, I love the idea of like your dad said, like tape it up, yeah. your worst case scenario, hold it very dear. Yeah. And this is a very Eastern concept. Yeah. Um, it's also very stoic. I mean, Seneca yeah. had that, um, the... He had this little experiment where you have would you know commit to three, five, or ten days where you would sleep on the floor in your own house, yeah. preferably in the laundry or the dog bed. Yeah. Um, you would have like literally just water. Yeah. Um, and maybe stale bread. That was yeah. sort of and it was the you would say to yourself the whole time, is this the thing that I feared the most? Is this yeah. the thing that I feared the most? And yeah. you know we're talking about staying in ashrams and monasteries, yeah. and you start to realize like, hang on a second, like my worst case scenario is not even that. So it bad. never is. It never is. But also, like, literally, your worst case scenario is you own nothing, you have nothing. Yeah. And if you ever have go through moments like that, you're like, this is, it's not like luxurious and it's not yeah. plush, but I'm fine. I'm still here. Got everything I need. Yeah. 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 No, it's so true. And actually, um, w not worst fear, but something I have uh, lots of friends that also are self employed or are small business owners, and something that comes up in conversation a lot is HR. Because that's actually quite hard, isn't it? When you're hiring people to work with you. And um, I realized that I didn't really answer your question about how do you get everybody on my page. So kind of circling back to that, I think I have a friend actually who has uh, a business and she's about to make her first hire. And she's like, oh my gosh, like how do you even find people? And how do you know you're hiring the right person? And I think for all small business owners, if you decide to scale in any capacity, obviously mm. that's a necessary step. And I find that the hardest actually. If someone asks me, what if you had to pick the one thing that you actually didn't want to do or could remove from your life? No, that's a not a very healthy way to look at life. But if that was asked to me as a question, I would say HR. <coughs> because I think when you are sensitive to people, HR is very, very challenging and I'm very sensitive to people. So I don't know about you, but it's always that line between wanting to be friendly and wonderful to your team, but not blurring the lines to the point you're their best friend and how do you then become the manager or boss of your best friend? Oh, it's the pits. It's the hardest yeah. equation ever. Yeah. And I used to always, well, personally, I always used to think I was the problem. And yeah. I started to realize it's actually 50-50. Like, there's 50-50 yeah. mixes where yeah. some people, it's just magic. It just works. Yeah. There's, yeah. For some reason, you can, like, transition between the two really yeah. quickly. And I actually think that's what being in partnership with your partner teaches you. Yeah. It's how to quickly, like, flip from yeah. being 
um, in like intimate. I don't mean physically, yeah. but like intimate with somebody, and then also to professional. Yeah. And so that's one of the good things. Yeah. But all your team here. Are oh my gosh! I mean, our team is wonderful, and I think like every time we hire an, an additional member of team, I'm like, oh, we have such a great dynamic, and oh my gosh, we have to maintain. And I put probably unnecessary pressure on myself and Rich when we hire. Um, and of course. There's tons of amazing people out there, and you find them, and they, and you, and actually, you know, I've never really had anything bad happen with in terms of HR. That's not why I find it challenging. It's more <laughs> just like trying to be a good manager is is something that occupies me. And what I also realize is just because you're good at your job does not make you a good manager. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, not even a little bit, you know. And it's like it's a very specific set of skills to manage people, help them grow, bring out their strengths. You know, it, it's just like, I'm I'm reading so many books about that right now, and I actually got a business coach who's working with me last year precisely for that. I was like, how do I become a better manager? Because mm. I, I really, it's very important to me for as long as I'm self-employed and employing people that I keep growing in this, because it's the one area that I didn't spend a lot of time or energy on cultivating. Mm. I'm like, I run a magazine, it's fine. I should know how to edit and whatever, you know? But actually, if you have a team, one might argue that the most important skill is managing because you're delegating and they need to fly with it. Mm. Um, so that's been a huge thing for me this past year. And how I try to get everybody on the same page as me, it's kind of like corny stuff. Like I try to set the example. I, I try to be the hardest working person in the room. Yeah. The longest hours, I do the longest hours. I, do, you know, and I, and not, I'm not above anything, you know. Like, there is no task that is too menial for me. I will get in there, you know, unbox thirty boxes. Like, it's just kind of like I don't like a hierarchical office. We're all on the same team. Yeah, that was the cutest this. thing ever when um, Rich was leaving the room and you were like, um, hey, do you think maybe like <laughs> someone could? Oh no, it's like, just maybe go down and get, get, get some coffees. And he looked at you like. Uh, no. <laughs> and walk back out. <laughs> like, there was none of that, like, and I think there's there's a groundedness and also a sense of responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, I've been in many magazine offices yeah. and there's, like, the clicking of the finger yeah. and it's like, full stat. You know, it's like, it's not yeah. going, there's a grassroots feel. Yeah. I've been an intern getting the four lattes yeah. in many uh, internships or assistant roles I've had. And, I mean, hey, that's cool with me. Um, but, you know, whenever I ask someone to come work with us, be it an intern or anything I say we do not work in like a you know you I mean, down here and me up yeah there. we're in the same team we're in one office we are very friendly with each other like I can do you a favor you can do me a favor it, it's uh, that's very important to me personally it may not be right for everyone and I think um, the people who have come to work with us I, I hope and I think that they appreciate that so as a result, if I say, hey guys, this is what I would like to do, it's not me like saying, get on my page. Mm. I always kind of explain, well, I try to. Sometimes when I'm busy, maybe I don't explain. <laughs> I try to explain as much as possible, and I always say, hey, if you have any questions, just grab me. We'll go into the meeting and we'll have a chat about it. So I try to be as inclusive as possible in the process. I'm sure that they don't necessarily feel like that every single time, so that we kind of are just moving along the same path because I try to m make that a part of my 
management style or with photos, if I have someone taking photos for me, I'll be like, okay. Because you know when you hire a photographer to work with you, like you know what their work looks like. It's not like, oh my God, what the hell is this? This is not what I asked for. But just subtly guiding them. Mm. I like this image for this reason. Can I please have more of this? And um, if someone's written something and you know we sub quite heavily and the proofing stage is intense, but it's not like sub, 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 yeah, 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 you don't need to see it, I'm sending it to press. It's like, I'm gonna send it back to them. Are you comfortable with this? They come back to me, no, I wanna keep this word. Actually, can we, I like what you did here. It's just, I think everything with us is, I'm not dictating. No, it's collaborative. Yeah. And also yeah. then people get to understand through that sequence like how you actually think. Yeah. So that then they can start to become more preemptive yeah. and aligned with yeah. that as opposed to, that's such an old school management style. Do that this, do Just that. because I said so. Yeah. You know. No, I don't think I could get away with saying something like that. <laughs> I feel like I can't pull that off. Uh, I, I, would just start, I can see Richard's face if you even try <laughs> I think I would just start cracking up and fall out of my chair. Oh my God, did I just say that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being able to say that either. I think I've really come to acknowledge everybody's different, therefore everybody has a different style. Every co- company has a different corporate culture. Corporate culture, that, that in itself is quite a corporate word. But I'm working with an HR agency who's helping me with... Um, HR branding, you know, how do you want the wording in your contracts to sound? Mm, Do you want to be friendly? And yeah, I mean, it's just, it keeps going. It's like, I said to Rich, I'm like, I feel like I know what I'm doing and I kind of do, but also every year there's like another layer that I'm like, shit, I didn't even think about that. And so I'm working with her now on, you know, branding our HR method to make it very inviting and open and uh, it's not done yet, we're getting there. And I was like, should I have an employee handbook? Is that too corporate? She was like, no, not if you design it and it's quite relaxed and it just gives all the facts that people need to know. What's a monotone? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I, I kind of, I think Rich and I try to just gently nudge and guide and just share and I, I don't know if they would agree, but I do notice that people tend to wear more muted colors about after six months of being here. Oh my god, incredible. <laughs> I never tell them to. But, um, or yeah, I, it's like, like what you asked us, like how do people dress at events? I'm like, I never tell them what to wear, but it's Somehow, like an uns- everyone. They yeah. know, you know, so. Because they live and breathe it. I think if you, as the founders, literally live and breathe it, it's yeah. not, it's, it's just a way of being, it's a way of yeah. living. There's no, that, that word integrated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just completely stitched together, then other people then like, like there's the mirror neurons in the brain yeah. for a start, yeah. and we'll just monkey see, monkey do. It's such a beautiful way in which we learn and yeah. adapt. And yeah. that, like culturally, that will just start to happen. It's such yeah. a, and, and because it's authentic, it's not. Yeah. And the thing is, like, wear whatever you want. You know, when we're working in the office, it's cool. Like, I'm not a cartoon. I obviously like plenty of things outside the sphere that is serial. And Francis, I think the common mistake people can make before they meet me, I don't know, people just make assumptions. I make assumptions. And they think that, they think that I'm going to be, like, rich. I think that's what always happens. They think that I'm going to be quite calm and composed and, you know, not Considered. as... Yeah, and then quite just graceful in my muted tones. Um... <laughs> And I, I think Rich actually really, is, that's just who he is. I, I, I've been with him for eight years. But I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, like just kind of all over the place at times. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, my God, you're not what I expected. And I always remind people, I'm like, it's what I do for work. So when I'm working, yes, I, I am this. But this only represents a percentage of who I am. I have so many other interests outside of work. Like you can't 
again, it's the box thing. You can't put people in a box. No, and just because aesthetically something is, is super minimal doesn't mean that you're going to have a Zen personality. But no, you. no, not at all. And, you know, people are like, oh, you're such a minimalist. I'm like, what does that even <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm like I so just not like, in personality. I, no. I cop it all the time. People are like yeah. you're the most hyperactive meditation teacher. Are you sure you can teach meditation? You kind of swear too much for a meditation <laughs> teacher. I'm like, Why? There's this automatic assumption that that will equal that, yeah. and it doesn't at all. No, it doesn't. And so yeah, I think that um, everything that we've done so far with cereal is just kind of coming genuinely stemming from things that Rich and I are interested that we think are a great brand fit for cereal and sometimes people say do you ever feel like you guys run out of creativity I mean I'm sure loads of people have experienced writer's block creative block all of that I'm I think travel kind of fixes that for us so Big easily. Yeah. yeah. And I get that not everybody can afford to travel loads but, but you can afford to travel in your own city. This is a exactly. concept I learned ages yeah. ago where it was like, what would travel look like in your... So we noticed that, well, for a start, we were starting to develop like different personalities when we we're in different countries. Yeah. So uh, we, I noticed a couple of years ago, I was like, hang on a second, I'm getting hung up on traveling to Japan yeah. because when I'm in Japan, I'm actually much, I am much calmer, I'm yeah. more compassionate, I'm more gentle, I'm not yeah. as, I really liked who I was in Japan because yeah. of the culture there and I would just sort of like slip into it. I'm also very, like, give me too long and I'll start speaking with an English accent. I'm yeah. in the States, I start ordering, <laughs> like, I am very, like, I will, like, yeah. morph into whatever's happening yeah. around me, super absorbent. And then I was, Aaron and I were talking about, like, oh, who we are when we're in this city and, or country and we don't necessarily have to go to those places to have yeah. those experiences. Like, what would it look like if we did it at home? Because yeah. there have been times where it was like, we can't afford to travel to the places yeah. we've wanted to. And you can, like, there's so, like, in within any city, there's pockets of things that you just don't do, you're not open to. Yeah. One of my girlfriends, actually, she's a student of mine, and um, Tori, she said this amazing thing recently where they she culled down her hours to be able to be at home more to work yeah. on art, her art projects, yeah. and do an exhibition once a year. And then, they, but they didn't have any money to travel. And so she was like, screw it, we're traveling here. So what she would do is they're like, okay, we're gonna cook Korean. They would put on Korean TV on the SBS. Oh, wow. They would play Korean music. They would only cook Korean food. Yeah. Uh, like everything was themed basically or, or Italian. They would go, okay, yeah. let's pretend we're traveling to Italy. That's and they'd so put on, cool. they'd play like Italian opera and they would like yeah. make Italian meals. And she was like, she would dress like out of her wardrobe. So yeah. it was like the things that she would go, if I was on a holiday, this is what I would this wear. Is what I'd be wearing. You know, yeah. we all do that. It's like, That's yeah, cool. I kind of wear that over here yeah. and I wear that there. Um, and like her little boy yeah. was, they loved it. And they would go to like, let's go to an Italian restaurant in our yeah. town. Let's go to the Italian delicatessen. Let's, wow. you know, pick up a few Italian words or whatever it was, yeah. but they were theme. And I was like, this is amazing. That's I love really that lovely. idea. Yeah. Um, so and a lot of people say, oh, travels, you know, for people that, you know, have disposable income. And, yeah. But you can do it anyway. You don't have to. It's definitely getting more and more and more accessible these days, isn't it? And even flights, there's so many really competitive options. And if you live in England, get on the train. Mm. Like 30 minutes this way, 30 minutes that way. You're really, I think it's just nice to be stimulated by unfamiliar things. Yeah, it shakes up the brain. Yeah. So, um. Otherwise yeah. the wiring gets a bit too tight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. So yeah, we're just kind of in this evolving, kind of rolling down the hill, creative morph. I just, I feel like sometimes like a cloud, like I'm just like shape shifting. I think more and more, I'm trying not to set clear boundaries and lines and this is my role and this is what you have to do and just kind of letting 
things happen. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's very new for me because I am so controlling. So yeah, it's been nice. And I, I, I love that you gave me the word surrender for this year. So I'm going to be thinking about that loads. I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for your time Oh, today. thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadplace podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about our interviewer at thebroadplace.com and in the show notes. And in addition, if this episode has inspired you to look more deeply into enhancing your creativity, your clarity, or your consciousness, visit us at www.thebroadplace.com. In there, you'll be able to find more information about our classes, our courses, our retreats, residential and non-residential, as well as our programs. Hope to connect to you soon.